0: Casting with Kerry-Jones. Hi everyone, and welcome to Casting with Kerry-Jones. This episode is a special one because it's the anniversary. A twelve months ago, I started this podcast, and I didn't expect it was going to take off the way it did. And I've thoroughly enjoyed every moment of it, meeting new people, and and get messages every week with like-minded people. During that time, I made forty-eight episodes with just under twenty thousand listeners in that time. So I thought I'd do something a bit special for this episode, and it's question which I've been asked many times during that time and which I get asked every week is to tell the story of my catch of the Loch Corrib record £23.12 Corrib Ferox. And that's what this episode's about. The story from start to finish how I got into fishing for Ferox to the capture. And thanks again for listening to my podcast. i got lots more ideas and lots more guests planned the next few months. Sit back and and enjoy. I've been fishing the Corrib since the late 80s, and this is where it all started really the passion for the Ferox I started off going to a village called Kong, a really lovely little village, and each of the bars there had these big trout adorning the walls. So I'd be coming off the lake. I'd always go for a few pints, chat with uh, friends and locals. And and my head was always turning to the walls of these cased fish. And after a few pints, your mind started thinking, I've got to get one of these. Because they they really set the passion going. So I think that's when it kicked off. And i have been fishing, as I said, fly fishing since the uh, late 80s. The year of the strike, that period, just, just after the strike. I think it was 89, might have been. So, and during that time I fly fished. I've had great sport every year. I haven't missed a year. I was catching fish on the fly, just fly fishing then. I was having good fish, sometimes three-pound fish, four-pound fish. But it was great sport. Since then, I've been going every year, and I've always fished the mayfly. I knew it sometimes in the early spring for the olives, and uh, also September which I found was really good for the grasshopper or the daddy. So during that time, I was doing an awful lot of competition fishing as well in the UK, doing the internationals, and it was good. I enjoyed it. And I was doing an awful lot of feature writing and articles for the magazines here, not to be trout fisherman. But when you do something for such a long time, you start to get stale, you know, and you want new goals. So on a trip, I think it was around about 2000, 2001, I started seeing some guys on the Corrib catching big fish, trawling, and when you see these big fish, it really gets you excited, you know. So I thought I got to get into this, and it didn't take long. Then, over those last, the following two years, I was seeing more and more people catching these ten-pound plus round shots. On one of the trips I was there, I think it was 2002, I think, or thereabouts. I was over in Uttarad and I uh, happened to be in my room at the time and I had a call of late Mike Noon and uh, he said uh, oh do you want to come over to the Lake Hotel? Young Cachel, his son taking these guys out Gillian and uh, they got it's a 21 pound so I went straight over to the Lake Hotel and I saw it and I thought wow and that fish now is in Faghti's Bar in Uttarad beautiful looking fish a great fish so this was what I was looking for a new goal you know when the fly fishing it's starting to get a bit stale you know and I want some new want some new adventures you can say so every chance I got I was over the Caribbean. then for the next few years I was going for a week at a time two weeks at a time three weeks at a time every chance I got I was over there And I was slowly Because there's nothing really mentioned Nothing written How to catch ferrocks And how they live And how they eat It it's just a learning curve And uh, I I got my own boat over there So I was going out early Some mornings as early as 4 or 5 o'clock And I would spend all day Every day Up until 11 o'clock at night Trying different areas uh, Different baits and methods And in all conditions literally hail, wind blistering hot conditions so it was only a matter of time things started to improve and I was starting to catch initially I was getting lots of 6, 7 up to 11 pound fish I started to learn there's different techniques with different size fish as well so I gradually each season the fish were getting a little bit bigger and I was getting them 10s, lems, 12s, and then there was 14, and that was a barrier, I couldn't get one bigger than 14, and uh, I soon latched on to a method, and an area, where I knew there were big fish, and I could catch them, and in 2011, I was doing just this, and I did have one, 19 and a half, which is on another podcast which I've done earlier in the series. I actually had one the year before that, would have been 2010, which I lost, which was a much bigger fish. And this what happened then was as soon as I lost it, I just went straight in to my accommodation, got a tumbler of whiskey, and I sat there. And I thought, oh, you know, when you, when you put it in hours and days and days and days, weeks, and then you lose a fish, and it was because it was careless, it was. I just got on the phone. It was about another six days to go before I was supposed to go back home. But I got on the phone, rang Stenoline, and I just left. I couldn't face the late again. I went back home then. So obviously, you know, you learn from your mistakes and hopefully you won't do them again. And the following year, which was in uh, 2011, I did have one, 19 and a half. Um, so I thought, right, I'm close to this 20 now. So the next year, I was switched on. I knew where they were, I knew where they lived, and I knew how to catch them. And there is a different method of catching a bigger fish I found. Up to 15 was one method. Over 15 is a different game altogether. And it's only through perseverance and time of eliminating different methods you get to know this. And I did put the time in. But with this method, it's going to be big or nothing. So it's quite possible, usually I would go on and maybe... Two weeks without a fish. And you might get one fish in three weeks. But you know when that rod goes round, it's going to be big. So, 2012 came. Stayed in uh, Burke's Bar. And while I was staying there, I was uh, at the bar chatting with Paul Geraghty, a friend of mine. Who also did some ferrox fishing. And uh, as you do, you're talking to late in the night, i have a few pints. We decided then, we'd meet up the following day on an island, and have a fryer. This is a regular thing we, we've done over the years. Instead of taking sandwiches out in the boat and a flask, what we do, we just make a fire, take the pan, steaks, mushrooms, peppers, you name it, and a bottle of wine. And it's nice to have take time out. So the plan was, the following day, we were going to meet. He'd be going out on his boat, and then I on mine, and then we were supposed to meet on this island at 2 o'clock. So that was sorted. The following day, I got up, and the wind, the conditions were, were big, big northeasterlies. And uh, I did something which I don't normally do, because if I'm fly fishing, I'll just take my fly gear, and if I'm trolling, I'll just take my trolling gear. But this morning, I thought, I'll take my fly rod as well, because it, it did look lumpy, big wind. So I thought, I think what I might do was fly fish the bay at Ashford, in the calm of the bay. 'Cause there's lots of mayfly around, and I'll have an hour or two there before I head out and meet Paul on an island. So at the lake I went, it must have been about uh, ten o'clock. Even though I was in the lee of the island, the shelter, it was still a bit of a chop in the bay. Even though there's a big wind, there was lots of mayfly coming off. But what I found when you fish in the corrib. you could have a lovely wind, loads of mayfly, and nothing coming up for them. Now, because at this time, the wind was changing by the day. You'd have maybe a southerly, a northerly, a northeasterly, and that is bad. There's no consistency in the wind. Even though there's fly coming off, the fish are unsettled and they won't come up and take the fly. I found that. So even though I fish for an hour, I had one or two small ones, you know, and, um, but nothing of any size, and the better fish weren't taken. So anyway i was fishing away and then and then i had a call on my mobile from paul saying that the wind is way too much for him that he's going into the island to have a bit of lunch early till i fancy joining him so i said yeah so i reeled in and headed for the island out about three four miles out in the lake this would have been now about 12 o'clock we head in we have this lovely little island moored up made a fire settled down in the shelter of the island to have a steak lunch and we stayed there for about a good hour i'd say something like that i actually took a photograph of us there so i, I put in the story notes so you can see little didn't know in that picture that what was going to happen later so paul decided to head out then after about an hour or so so he pushed the boat out and went out and he went on his way down the lake i stayed on for about half hour to have a brew with my gilly kettle something which I take everywhere now. and if anyone's interested I sell the full range on my online shop on my website so you can take a look and then when I was ready to, to head out I realised I'd pushed the boat way too high up onto the rocks and I could not shift it no matter what I was doing as rocking the boat I just it wouldn't budge so with all my gear back in the boat now I thought there's one thing for it so I just walked in I had my clothes on my trousers on boots and I just pushed the boat out up to my well, well over my knees and I managed to free the boat so I jumped in and I was away but by now obviously my feet were soaking my legs are soaking but even though there was a big wind it was a warm sun so when you think about it like bright sun north wind kiss of death you're not going to catch anything but one thing i noticed, when I go out to Ireland, if I go for one week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever, I will fish every day, no matter what the conditions. Now, that makes a big difference, because, because I've lived over there as well for two years. And you pick your days. If it's a nice day, you'll go out. If it's a sort of day, like, you know, as I said, north wind, sun, you wouldn't bother. Or oh, if it's really raining, but when you're there visiting, you'll make the most of every day. And I'm glad I did, because this day was a day which you wouldn't normally have gone out. So anyway, I tackled up, put the both rods out. By this stage, it was coming up to 2 o'clock. And not long after I started to row, I was rowing past another island towards Inshigil. And I was coming to the spot when I hooked the 19 and a half. A year previously to the day. And I'm rowing and I'm rowing. And I love rowing with the wind. The action of the oars and the board going down in the troughs. And then it's a comfortable way of fishing. And the baits fish lovely. So I was doing this and I was looking over to the side of me and thought I wonder now it was about I would say probably about fifty yards off the line you could say where I had my fish the previous year so I of rowing across the big wind I thought now I'm going to do this so I went on the engine so I got up to the end of the boat by this stage now I took my shoes off the socks off so I put them on the seat in front on the bow to dry out in the sun I rolled my trousers up and I was in bare feet on the boat I got up went on the engine gave it a pull and I started going across the wave very very slowly but I can imagine and this is often the case near fly fishing as well is that the arc in the line a fish often takes when the line arcs round instead of the, the normal path going straight and this is what happened I arced the boat around to go over about 40-50 yards to the spot where I wanted to fish and as I did this the right hand rod just buckled round it was so battled over. I could not get the rod out of the holder. And the line was screaming. It was exactly as if I'd hooked the car. I wouldn't have got any faster. The, the line was burning off the reel. I managed to get the rod out of the holder. It stopped the engine. So I was just free drifting now, the boat was. And the line was going. And then stopped. And as it stopped... I could feel the nodding. The fish by this stage would have been about 100 yards away. And he just stayed there, nodding. So he knew it was a good fish. But if I'd known if he was a, as big as what he was, I wouldn't have done what I was going to do next. So what I did then, I would held it with my left hand, the rod, just held it there. And then quite casually then, pulled in the spare rod, left the rod in the, the holder, and reeled in, as I normally do, if i got a fish on, with your right hand, so, until the, the bait comes in, lift the rod up, and it's in the boat. If I'd known this fish as big as it was, I'd just cut the line, just to free it, because it didn't want this fish to come off the tangle. So, now I had the one rod out, and I felt comfortable now. I thought, right, let the games begin. And this was two o'clock now I hooked this fish. And um, for the next half hour, I was in open water, in a big wave, and I didn't see the fish. It was coming towards me, going under the boat, and I couldn't quite make out. And what these big fish tend to do, it's quite common. They will come to the boat, and they'll dart under the boat. So you've got to be ready to put your rod in. This has happened so many times. So this fish is coming towards me, and I was ready which way he was going to go. He was nearer the bow. I'd go to the bow, I near the engine, i go to the engine. And this happened about four or five times. i straight towards me, under the boat, and I'd have to put my rod in, up to my shoulder even, and then round to the other side. And it's quite difficult and hairy in a big way to do this. There's water coming in and splashing, and, and then he'd run the other way. And then he'd be back towards you and then go under the, the boat again and go back. So th- this was like half hour and I, th- I hadn't seen the fish, but I knew it was a good fish. I didn't know 100% that it was a trout, but it could have been a pike. but I thought, I doubt it very much. There's lots of the big pike I've had. They will thrash on the surface and the take is different. I mentioned this before. Because when a trout takes a roach, a bait, it'll just come up to the bait, snatch it, and turn and run. So you know when the rod starts going and it screams off, 99.9% of the time, it's a trout. It's different when you get a pike. Because pike will dart up to the bait, take it, and stop. It doesn't take and run, I found, like a trout. So when you get a take off a pike when you're trolling, the rod gradually arcs round. It's not violent at all. It's almost like hooking the bottom. And then as soon as it's arc round, then you liven up. So I was confident, really, this was a big trout before I even seen it. Anyway, I played it like I said for about half hour. And he just stayed by the boat deep then for a while. No big runs. So about three quarters of an hour gone now. And all of a sudden i saw the side below the engine because the sun was out i was looking in the water and i could see a big golden flank and i knew this is it this is the trout my legs at this point was shaking i was in my bare feet and i was just running around the boat chasing this fish going under and around to the other side so it was almost an hour had gone by and he's behind the boat for a while now. If you imagine, I'm facing the wind. The wind's pushing the boat. And now the fish is behind me. And I'm coming across these rocks in the open water. And I'm thinking, how am I going to get around this? I was getting really nervous at this point because as the boat was drifting, it was drifting down towards these outcrop of rocks. And not only would there be a chance of losing the fish in the rocks, but... ...rubbing against the line... ...it's a chance of losing the boat... ...because in this big wind... ...and you start getting into these rocks... ...bad things can happen... ...so there's only one thing for it... ...I started the engine... ...again fish on... my ...holding the rod in my left hand this time... ...pull the pull cord... ...started the engine... ...and I'm ticking along... ...not too fast... ...so I would go maybe 60 yards... Away from these rocks. so didn't want to get the fish close to these rocks. Good chance he would have rubbed the line against them. And it would have been off. So, so that was another obstacle I had to get around. I mean out in open water again now. Comfortable. And this fish starting to get tired. As well as myself. And all of this time. Your stomach is in knots. With the excitement and the adrenaline. Because you really don't want this fish to come off. And I did, as I said previously, I hooked a fish the year, two years before, and it it was a big, it was a record sized fish that, and it came off. And I thought to myself, I don't want to go through that again. The first fish was going to come off, I was going to just step over the side. So anyway, I played this fish, and it looked like now, it was just over the hour, she was ready for the net. So, again, if you can imagine now, you're in the boat, The fish is behind you, you're facing the wind, and you're drifting away from the fish. This is quite difficult. But and then you're down in a trough and up. So I had my big net out, had it over the side, and she came to the surface on a side, and she would just come into the net. And as I she come into the net, the trough, the way the wind was, blew the boat up into like the crest of the wave. And the fish slipped out and went back in. You can imagine what I felt. The fish was half in the net and she just slid back in. And at this point I'm thinking, oh. I was so lucky because I could see the bait and the hooks was inside the mouth. If it had been outside on the jaws and she slid out at the edge of the net, a good chance the hooks would have been stuck in the net and then inevitable it would happen. She would have come off. Another 10 minutes passed now. And if you can imagine, I know the size of the fish now. I've seen the size of the fish. And I still haven't got it in. So, like I said, about another 10 minutes passed now. And she came up to the surface again. I slipped my net under this time, clean as a whistle, lifted the net. And that was it. For me. But I didn't just lift her in straight away. I was so shattered, mentally as well as physically hour and a quarter that fish would be on so i held the net at the end of the gunnels for like two minutes it seemed like a lifetime just looked over the side see the fish there Lifted it then one heave into the boat and i could see then that this was a record and as she was on the bottom of the boat in the net she gave one almighty whack of a tail on my leg and she just went the energy had gone straight out of her then. I got on the phone. I phoned Paul, which is, he was a couple of miles down the lake. And uh, I casually said, hi hey, Paul, I've got a 20. So excitedly, he just started the engine and he came straight over. At this time, I still needed to find some calm water. So I motored in behind one of the islands. And it it's nice and calm. You could say it was like a hot, a lovely calm summer's day from the photographs. But, uh, and then, I was waiting then, and then I could hear the sound of a boat come round. It was Paul. Paul came round. Mowed his boat on the side. That's all he had to do was look over into the boat. His eyes fixed on mine. He said, that's the record. I said, I know. So then, we both got our scales out. And fair enough, they're both brand new scales. Rapala Digitals. And they both weighed 25.2 um so it, it, it was just euphoric it, it wasn't an excitement then it was a calmness about it that it actually all the time all the hours all the months i paid off all the time of getting up four or five o'clock in the morning in the howling wind and rain where it had been much easier to get back into bed and i've done the same at 11 o'clock at night when was soaking wet but the perseverance and the relentlessness that the saying says, relentlessness gets rewards. And I was, I, was, I, it was, I was made up. What we did then, we headed in. And little did I know, as I was heading in, Paul had called into Berks to say that we were heading in early and we'd got the special fish. Little did I know then, we jumped in the car, Heading down into the town. And it was like a royal visit. Word had gone round like jungle drums. There must have been 200 people or so. In the town. Outside of both bars. Burke's and and Eddies. We drove straight past them. Because we had to get the fish verified now. So we went into Centra, Because the fish had to be weighed by scales. Verified by weights and measures. So, the fish was weighed in centra in Clomber. And the time it took from the time of capture to the time had it weighed was probably about an hour or so. And it lost weight. And now, it was officially verified, even though it was 25.2 at the time of capture. It was now 23.12 and the new record. So, you can imagine... It was quite an evening, and a time to remember. After a few days, I took it ahead to for to the taxidermist, John Thomas. But before doing so, I took a couple of scales off, put them in an envelope, and gave them to the fishery board, and, after some study, came back to me saying that the fish actually was 12 years old. Well, that's something I'd learnt, because I never realised how you could tell the age of a a trout, like many of us, I guess. But it's very much like a tree, because on the scales, when you look through a microscope, you can see the rings for each one of the years. So this fish was 12-year-old, and was an egg in the year 2000. So a few weeks passed, and come July, we held an unveiling evening, where it was put on display in Burke's Bar in Clomber. And it was quite an evening where we had uh, various guests. We had the late Derek Davis and also the Mayor of Galway. And Guinness kindly supplied us with five kegs of Guinness. So you can imagine it was quite an evening. For those of you who are not a lover of taxidermy, i got to say, it's an important part of history of fishing. And it's where it all started for me. Sitting in the bars, looking up and seeing these case fish in the walls, dreaming that one day... And leading up to this particular record trout, I'd put dozens of high teens back. was only the last two, the two biggest which I've had mounted, the 19 and a half and the record, 25. And the 19 and a half is still in Burke's Bar in Clonbur, where you can take a look if you're passing. Now it's been two years since I've been fishing the Corrib because of lockdown. But hopefully if all goes to plan, September this year, I'll be back out. I've already got a couple of days guiding. If anybody wants to have a, a day with me fishing for the Farrox when I'm over there, give us a shout. If this is your first time tuning in, make sure you catch all future episodes by clicking subscribe via the links on my website, castingwithcarryjones.com or via iTunes or your favourite podcatcher. If you like what you've heard on this episode, feel free to drop me a line via my website. Tell me what you've enjoyed, ask a question, or better yet, tell me what you want to hear more of in the future. And if you're looking for additional tips, tackle reviews or venue information, or just want to see what's been hitting the back of my net lately, search up Casting with Kelly Jones on Facebook or follow me on Instagram. And if you still want more, I'm regularly uploading video content onto the Casting with Jones YouTube channel so just check that out and subscribe over there too wherever you follow subscribe comment or message I look forward to catching up soon for a good fishing chat well I think that's all for now so until next time tight lines and don't strike too soon